What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode four of the Write Who You Know podcast. I'm Matt Hausfetter. This is the podcast where I interview my working Hollywood screenwriter friends. We shoot the shit. We have laughs. It's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes of all of your favorite TV shows and movies. Uh, today, we have a very special guest on the podcast, my dear friend, Teddy Bressman. He's an awesome writer. He's also a director. Uh, he's written on shows like Sausage Party, Pam and Tommy. He created The Pole, the animated show starring Colin Jost. He has written a couple movies, Jungle Land, starring Charlie Hunnam. And honestly, he's just an all-around great dude. Uh, he is also the creator of the Mensch of the Month hat uh, company, which you should check out at Mensch of the Month. I think they're on IG. Uh, but yeah, today we're going to get into it. Uh, Teddy came into the game uh, after graduating from Harvard, came back to L.A., ended up working for Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen. And uh, he started writing when he was an assistant. So this is his story. Uh, we're going to get into every single nook and cranny like it were an English muffin. So sit back, relax, pop open a bottle of orange juice or Budweiser. Not sponsored by either Big Orange or Budweiser. I just happen to enjoy both. This is the Write Who You Know podcast. I'm Matt Hausfetter. See you soon. Pass. Nope. Matt, it's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us and give some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. But he's super young, and like he, his whole like company is like his buddies, mm. and they've rented the house next to me in Los Feliz. And I was like, this is a fucking neighbor situation. Like, I we had just had our son, and like that month these like five or six like wild like 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 hunter s thompson like style <laughs> journalists move next door how old are they they're like in their early 20s oh my god and i was like literally like freaking out so i texted uh my friend who's works with them and i was like you gotta like let me meet these dudes like and i was like trying to be cool like seth and neighbors like i was like yeah like I'm cool, like I'm a writer, like like I smoke weed, like, and they were like looking at me like I was so old. And then they were like, the first thing they said to me was like, "Oh shit, like you're our neighbors, like we can see into your pool from our roof." Like, Do you want to check that? So I was like, "All right." So you went over. So I went into their backyard, and the way that they get to their roof is they like climb like like on their pool heater onto their roof <laughs> and I broke their pool heater. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. I stepped, so I like left there owing them money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then like a couple weeks later, um, I got a call uh, from them being like, uh, yo, like we just got this sponsorship from PB. It was like last new year's Eve. Um, and they call me and be like, yo, we just got the sponsorship from PBR. Like, do you want some PBR? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, all right. But I was like nervous that they were gonna like be throwing like a huge party. But um, but instead they were just like wanting to offload their PBR before they went on like a three-month road trip. <laughs> how much how when they, they like, had like a like a stack, you know, like a stack crate, like that they like bring in on a forklift. It's like, it's like twelve boxes. <laughs> they had they had a full trailer that was full of PBR. Holy shit! So I took like 
a hundred PBR. <laughs> and then I also have like a newborn child who like cries and goes to sleep early and wakes up early. And like, I realized that like, I am the bad neighbor. Like <laughs> I'm keeping them away. <laughs> I'm breaking their stuff. Um, and they've given me stuff. I haven't given them anything. And I haven't even seen them because they're always on the road. So it's like they actually are like the best possible neighbors. Like, hey, man, can you uh, you might get in our mail while, yeah. <laughs> while we're gone. But you have to be young to go on the road like that. Like you can't. You have to like really want to live like that. And like when you have kids, it's like there's no way you're going to be able to like. Yeah, I can't start that career. Right. And so like I, I that's why I started this podcast because I was like, I love talking to people. I don't. Like, I find I'm funniest when I'm riffing with someone, not like, oh, Matt's going to be doing 10 minutes at the comedy store. Because, like, I did that in high school, and it wasn't, you know, it, it was awesome, but, like, it was fleeting, and it wasn't something that I wanted to pursue forever. And podcasting, to me, was just kind of like, there's a part of me that was like, everybody does this. I roll. Like, I want to kill myself. Like, when I went to Guitar Center to buy all this shit, they're like, you start a podcast. I was like, God damn it, isn't that obvious? <laughs> but I just, you know, I I think um, writing is a team sport. Even when you do it alone, I have, like, a team of people that I rely upon, A, to keep me sane, B, to, like, ghost read stuff and be like, yo, this is kind of shitty. Before I turn it into anybody, uh, whether that's my agents or producers or whoever... And I really feel that it's like uh, it's like being in a NASCAR race. Like if you don't have a killer pit crew, you're going to fucking burn out. And so I wanted to start talking to people and writers that I knew and that were my friends like you and some that I didn't know about how they survive, how they got into writing and and just sort of like the machinations of the daily life of a writer. And maybe by talking about it and and meeting with people like it would alleviate some of my isolation and covidness and like whatever uh and that's really just like sort of how it started no i mean i feel like that's something I, we've talked about this a lot off the podcast too, yeah but i i mean it is like like it's a it's a weird like thing to get into writing especially if you're like a comedy writer because it's like born out of like a desire to like make your friends laugh and then like in practice what it becomes is a, a truly like isolating solitary experience but I do think that, like, I mean, I, I really thank you, and then I have a few other friends, too, that, like, have, have like, been there to talk through um, the the di more disappointing moments. And yeah. it is, like, it's one of the, it's, like, I, one of the things I like most about living in L.A. is, is how um, sensitive the community of writers that I've, like, built around me is. And it's something that, like, if you're not fully like committed to the craft, like, and you've devoted your life to it. It's hard to like get your family or, or like friends from back home or something to understand what it's like. So it's, it is, I, I totally understand like what you're talking about and I'm happy to be it. Yeah. Cause it, on this podcast. it's a great segue to introduce you. Um, today on right. Who, you know, is my dear friend and writer, Teddy Bressman. Uh, I've known him since we were assistants uh, he married a dear friend of mine. He's a wonderful writer, super funny. Um, and honestly, like, we're very lucky to have him here. So thank you for coming, Teddy. Of course, yeah. We had Jones on third before we did this, a little Chinese chicken salad yeah. uh, to get into it. I guess what I what I want to ask Teddy is, like, growing up, being in high school and college and, and in your early 20s, like, what were some of the things that you watched or read or, like, loved and where you were like, 
uh, that's what I want to do. You know, like, was it movies or TV, like Jim Carrey, whatever it is, like, I'm curious what made you realize, like, that's, I can do that. Or I want to oh, do yeah. that. I, I mean, I still am like, I, I am still wondering if I can do that. But I, I think that like, um, when I was starting, that really was like the, the early path uh, and internal struggle for me. It was like this feeling of whether or not the pursuit was uh, like quixotic or absurd and, and like how to take yourself seriously as a writer at first when like you have no credits or you can't even write um, and no one else takes you seriously. <laughs> but I think that what I was uh, um, drawn to were like scenes and moments in my favorite movies that felt like magical, like, uh, like the end of Rushmore. Like, um, so good. That movie. Yeah. I remember seeing that in theaters just being like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, it, yeah. Like the, when like you under like I feel like I saw Big Lebowski when I was really young, and the second time I watched it, I understood it, and I was like, wow, like this. It's it's like the things that that feel um, that, or at least to me when I was younger, felt like truly unique. And also, um, what I realized in my as I like now like piece together all of my influences, it's like what I've always gravitated towards. Um, were movies or shows that have like um broken people at their center who over the course of the movie like uh come back to life um and i think that that's like for me like when i was in high school it that felt like a truly um like safe um like experience of like a like imagination for me it was like seeing that um reflected in others and and like knowing that if I was like in like a little depressed or like a little bit like down, like seeing kind of like the, the re the, the building yourself back up, which is like, that is what inspired me to write. And that's really like what I try to, to like infuse into every single thing I've, I work on. It's so funny you say that because after Fairfax came out, like I, because it wasn't like some huge cultural drug or not, I saw it as a failure and I know it's not, but for a while it took me a minute to like find the will to work again. And what I think is kind of ironic is I've always wanted to tell a story about a rock and roll band, not only because like I love music, but working with the two other guys on Fairfax, the only way we could talk about ourselves or like work through our issues during the five years we worked together was like as a band. And like, you know, <clears throat> a lot of my friends are in bands and they talk about how they communicate. And so then I realized like I'm going to write, the thing that I'm going to write about is about a band that is super overhyped and they think they're going to put out this first record and it's going to be huge and it isn't and how they find the will to create again. And I'm really excited to do that. And I love those movies like, like hustle with Adam Sandler this year. Yeah. Fucking great. Was there was a Ben Affleck basketball movie. Wasn't there that's similar. I just remember like there was a lot of scenes of him like drinking a beer at a shower. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't remember, I don't remember anything else from that movie. Um, no, but I, I mean, I, I, for me, like the early Wes Anderson stuff was so inspiring because like, it, I mean, it's hard to talk about him now because if like, I think people, um, associate his later work with who, like who he is as a filmmaker, but I always found that like, um, the, the through line through all those first movies, like Bottle Rocket, um, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, and then Life Aquatic, even though that's when maybe like. 
the the form started like overshadowing yeah. the function um, yep. even though i do still love all the stuff like it's all about like um once great people that have like lost their way and it's like um yeah i mean i i, I think that that's, there's something really like powerful about that because like it's there's like a there's a it's like a broken confidence i would say is the, is the way to describe those characters and like there's a line in hustle um where like sandler's talking about uh how he's like been in the in the basketball for 30 years and he has it's like he's nothing i don't know what the exact line is but it's like it's like at the low moment of his like uh of his path with like uh hernan gomez and like it's like to me that was a real um pretty clear uh and concise encapsulation of like what it's like to be a writer because it's like you obviously can you can like um maybe expose yourself to better opportunities as you go deeper into it. But like, you're always like sort of having to build from scratch. It's like every single time, like you, you might have like a better skill set or better partners or whatever, but it's like, you have to like start with nothing and, and build like your screenplays or shows or whatever, like with like an emotional honesty every single time or else they'll be, hollow and then and then you see how like that's how um that's how people kind of like lose like lose their careers i think is like if they if they stop um sort of like giving that that true attention to their material as they get as they get like older um i think i don't know teddy what was what or like when did you move out to la from uh new york i'm i moved uh I, I, I was in a relationship with my college girlfriend. Um, so, I, so I stayed in, uh, I stayed in New York. Uh, she, we went to school in Boston and I would like visit and. Were you writing by the, by the way, like during this time, were you already like, I'm a writer. Like I haven't written anything professionally, but like, this is what I'm going to be. Well, I was kind of like, I was, I was really inspired by like that, like David Sedaris and like early, like, like, uh, Sort of like comedic long form nonfiction. Yeah, Klosterman's book uh, "Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa yeah, Puffs" was 100%. like revelatory yeah. for me. So I was like blogging, but then I also oh my god, I had a blog too. Yeah, I, yeah. I love blogging. <laughs> uh, I was working for the New York Observer as a journalist and also Sports Illustrated. So I was like, I had like articles published online. But That's like, pretty cool. It was, but it wasn't like it was actually right before like print journalism died. So writing online, like wasn't like it, it was definitely considered to be like lesser mm -hmm. than like if you were in print, but I would like go, but I, but I really, I didn't like being a journalist so much because like I, I didn't find like, I, I thought it was like irresponsible to be like, to insert yourself into the story, which is like, that's a, uh, what I think is the problem with journalism now, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, so I, it wasn't like the perfect fit for me, but I, but I did want to stay in New York to like, see if I could make this relationship work. But I would like go back to school and like hang out with these like college kids. And, and I was like, so I felt so lost and so uncool all of a sudden. Cause I was like really directionless, even though I like had a job. Cause I wasn't like, I was like throwing things against the wall and, and eventually I was just like, I need to like actually try to do what I want to do. So I moved to LA. Um, and 
and then I started working at an agency. That was my first job. Which agency did you work at? I worked at Endeavor, uh, which is not WME, which was like, it wasn't horrible. Like, no, were you in the mailroom or were you on a desk? I was. At, I started in the mailroom and then I got to a desk. Um, but I worked during the writer's strike of 2008. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it was cool. <laughs> and I worked for a really nice agent. Like, um, Who was, are you allowed to say what his yeah, name is? Yeah, his name was Jason Spitz and he was like not. Jason Spitz, I know that name. Uh, maybe, anyway, shouts to nice agent he Jason cool. Spitz. Nice yeah. boss. Yeah. Um, is he still an agent? I, I I think so. Like he, I think he's a, he's an agent or like he's become a manager or something. Okay. All right. Um, but we, yeah, we like, we had a good thing going and there was no work to do. Like, so we just sort of like hung around and it was a, it was a really, it was a very relaxing year. Um, but I was writing at night. So like, um, I would be working like a lot of hours mm-hmm. during the day, but I wasn't like too stressed out. Or let me stop you right there. So you're saying you're writing at night. Like so many people like, you know, when you want to be a writer, they hand you story by Robert McKee or save the cat or whatever. Like, did you just go like, just like based on what I know from movies, I'm just going to write a movie. Or were you like, had you taken what you'd learned at college and sort of like applied that to what you were doing? Or how did you go about writing your first screenplay? What I was in the mailroom for three months and like, I, I came to LA like focus. Like I was, cause like, I'm not from here. And I, I, I was like, I, I have come to like living here, but I, I saw like the experience as a professional one. So I like came here being like, I gotta like get to work. So I read like so many scripts when I first started in the mailroom, like I would, I would hang around with people for like an hour and then I would read for like five or six hours every day. And then I read I didn't read story. Like, I feel like I would understand it now more than I did then, but I was like, this is too much talk about theme. Like, and I, I was like, fuck this. Like, uh, but, but then, uh, but now you're all theme, baby. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent. I'm not even content anymore. Uh, but the, um, and, but I did read save the cat, which was helpful, like yeah. technically. And then I wrote like, so many scripts like I I and I wrote like maybe my first year I think I wrote like two pilots and like four features wow um but they were horrible but like but you still did you still yeah, did it yeah I think that that's I, I, like the the best um advice I've ever heard actually was it was like Mindy Kaling said this on a podcast or something like where she was like all all you need to do is like see if like every year you're making some form of progress, like, um, and have that be an evaluation, like an honest, like self-evaluation. And for me, like, at first it was about just like output, like it's like finishing your first outline, finishing your first script, like actually doing a rewrite. Like those things were, were, were at first for me, like my benchmarks of progress, um, because like it it really is the only way you can get comfortable like um is through repetition uh there's no i think that like people have all these different paths in terms of like breaks that they get from relationships and like um opportunities they get from like networking or whatever but like the the only thing that ultimately matters is if you like actually take the time to develop your craft in a real way because 
like you might get lucky, but to have like a sustained career, I think you need to like um, be uh, developing your craft in a real way so that like when you have the contacts and you have like the opportunities in a real way, you actually are like executing professional work as opposed to just like hoping that your script is like funny or something. Yeah. And I didn't like I didn't realize that there was like structure and stuff to like three or four pilots and like a feature into it. I oh, yeah. I was just like, okay, like I've seen hundreds of movies. And I think like you said, like working when I worked at Paramount, I would read like six, seven scripts a week. Yeah. And I just like learned like after a while, like, you know, things start going, you know, you set it up by page 10 and by page 20, you're like, you got the like the active thing, and then you're in act two, and then by the end of it, it's all gonna fall apart and come back together and resolve and blah blah blah. Um but I didn't like realize that for so long. And it's such a duh yeah. thing. Um, but it is really important because like, it's like you're supposed to like state like the character issue that they need to like, that they're, they have a blind spot for or something in like a traditional, like um, co studio comedy, for example, like on page five or 10 or one of those pages. Yeah. And like through repetition, what that, what that means is like, um, you know to put the scene there. So you're writing like an on the nose version, maybe your first couple scripts, but then eventually you like are able to um, hide that, that like plot point yeah. in more like complex, like nuanced writing. So it's like your, your commitment to structure early on might lead to like um, formulaic writing or, kind of like on the nose amateurish level writing, but then eventually like it's internalized and then you can actually start to play with the form like while understanding um, um, structure like completely. Yeah. Uh, which takes a really long time. I mean, for me, it took a really long time, but maybe some people like are smarter. When I, so when I met you, you written, the first thing I read of yours was about the, one of the NHL penguins. Right? Did you write that with Dave Smith? I think. <laughs> what that was like in two thousand nine, maybe. Yeah. Right around. Casual encounters. Is that what? Yeah, that's what it was called. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and was was that like? Let me let me back up then. Okay, so you were working for Jason Spitz. You're yeah. writing at night. Then what? Um, so then I. One of the things that like I don't know if I'd recommend working an agency for most people. Like I feel like my experience was positive and. Um, I was only there for like nine months, so it just wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but what was good about it was like it exposed me to like writer's assistant opportunities in a way that like you um, just don't really have an, like a chance to like yeah. hear about if you're not yeah. at an agency because like the way it works is like like clients are starting companies all the time and like they need agents and, or assistants and they like they like want an assistant with like agency experience because like you do things in a certain way. So like. I got, I, I interviewed to be, I interviewed to be Wes Anderson's assistant. Actually. No shit. Yeah. yeah. Full um, circle. Did you yeah. get to meet Wes? No. And that was the thing. It was like, it was like based out of New York. And like, I, like his previous assistant said that like, he hadn't even been in New York in like 18 months. And I was like, I'm just going to sit in this man's apartment. Like, um, but I don't know if I should have done that or not. And then I, and then I interviewed to be, or I didn't interview, but I was like around working for Bennett Miller, which would have been cool. Moneyball. Yeah, it was like right before that, and then I, I and then I got hired by Evan Goldberg to be his assistant. Like I was really good friends with someone who had worked for 
um, Will Riser, who wrote 50 50. Mm-hmm. And they were like looking for an assistant after Pineapple Express. So then I like started working for Evan and Seth um, uh, in like 2009 or 2008 or 2000, maybe like the, yeah, sometime around then. And then I worked for them for like four years, which was, which was an incredible experience, like um, to just see how they like built material and, and like structured scripts and, and like their, they're such great writers that like it was a it was a really really um, valuable experience for me to just like observe their process and and I was like really in it during the the writing of Sausage Party the movie um, like I was like taking notes in their like writer sessions so I like I could that that was by far the best like like um, writing class that I like ever had the opportunity to take because like the way they work and you could see it in sausage party is like they're such logical thinkers like seth in particular that like um you wouldn't like think about this if you're if you were just like laughing at sausage party but like if you actually like look at sausage party it's like truly like an absolutely logical extrapolation of the concept of the film and it's like every (laughs) single character is like going through like existential struggles of what it means to be like like honey mustard or you know so it's like <laughs> so like watching them like talk through that i was like fuck like this is this is like there's so much more to writing than like you think um and that that kind of got me started about thinking about things on like um like as like as functions of the concepts of your movies and, and tv shows like i i really try now to like build every single script that i write like um by identifying the core theme of like what the movie is or what the project is and then making sure that like each of my characters are like going through iterations of that central theme so yeah so it's like a cohesive story yeah but i was like not even close to thinking that way until i kind of saw them um so so yeah so i was working for them as an assistant but then i was like still just wanting to like write my own stuff all the time like i was i mean i'm still obsessed but like i was obsessed then so like I, w- I was like writing with my friend, this guy Dave, um, and we wrote this script about Craigslist casual encounters. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> by the way, this is Dave Smith, the co-writer of, um, of Ingrid. Ingrid yeah. goes west and well, Jungle Land. That's yeah. dude. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Jungle Land is a, is another great movie that Teddy wrote, uh, and if you haven't seen that, you should go check it out. <laughs> um, so wait, t- so, uh, where did I? Oh, wait, what I wanted, what I wanted to ask you was. What was the interview process like for that first job where you were going to be like a writer's assistant? Like, was it just like, hey, is it a litmus test? Like, do we get along? Or, you know, did they ask or, or, or do they just like, you know, you were a friend with Will and you came from an agency. So it was like, yeah, hope and a prayer and we'll take a flyer. I, it was like definitely like evidence that weren't that like what they are now, obviously, then yeah. like they, they had written super bad. And, and like when I interviewed with them, Pineapple Express hadn't even come out yet. So it was more like I was like. Um, applying to be the personal assistant to a writer. Got it. So, like, it wasn't like I was going to work for, like, a big company. It was like, like, oh, can you, like, get dry cleaning? I was like, yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> of course I and can. I, and I proved to not even really be able to do that, ultimately. Um, but it was it was pretty casual. Like, I, I, so I have no idea how, how that works now. Because it was, like, literally, like, 15 years ago. Jesus world. So you, so you write casual encounters with Dave. Uh, 
like, I guess what I'm trying to get to is what, what's the first thing that you wrote that ended up making you perfect? Like, how did you break through officially? Yeah. Because I feel like so many people that I know, when you tell them that you're a writer, they're like, how did you do it? And I'm like, it's a fucking roundabout convoluted story. And I'm like, I'm sure you don't need to go through like the whole rigmarole, but I'm curious, just like, was it one script that everybody responded to? Or yeah. what, what do you consider the defining like, okay, from here on, I guess I'm a writer. Well, I think that like the, I think that the, again, like it's like comes back to like that sort of um, um, overarching like way of evaluating your progress without like these like seismic leaps in your life and career. Like, um, and I think that Casual Encounters for me was like a cool first script because like it was the first time I had like meetings off of a script. I didn't sell it, but I did get representation off of it. So that was like a great first step and then i thought that like getting an agent would be like oh my god like i'm about to make millions of dollars <laughs> same <laughs> and i didn't sell anything for five years after that like i but I, I got like one rewrite job so like basically like in 2008 i got a cool writer's assistant job then like 2009 i wrote a script that got me an agent by 2010 are they this do you have the same agents now or no um i have yeah, kind of. Like I, I've switched, but now I've gotten, I've come back to my first agent. Oh, cool! Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, it was nice. Um, but it's like what, what also, like at the time, like I literally had, I had a meeting with an agent, and it, it was like when the first Avatar movie came out, and I was like joking around, being like, "Yeah, like my inspirations are like Avatar." Like I was like so like, <laughs> I didn't think it seriously at all. So like. I feel like I didn't approach my relationship with my representation like in a professional way at first, but that's another thing you like learn as you start to like understand your own like sensibility as a writer and your own like actual preferences. Like I feel like my relationship with my representation right now is really fantastic because like um, I'm very articulate about like what I actually want to do and um, I've had so many experiences at this point that I sort of have an inkling uh, as to like how I want to approach things and build things, and and um, and I am like uh, demanding of my team, but I also make sure that I'm always like prepared and yeah, like it's a it's actually like a professional relationship now, um, and even so, even that is like a example of like um, progress within one aspect of the. Um, industry that like you would never think about when you first get started because like it's like you think like oh if you get an agent it's all like everything is gonna be figured out but like the relationship that you have with your agent is like very important and it's like um it requires like experience to understand how to like actually work with an agent yeah um in a deliberate way as opposed to just being like yeah like sure i'll do that like that sounds cool like at first i was like i'll do anything so i did like a bunch of rewrites and and like smaller like projects that um that were good because i was like getting paid like and getting in the guild and shit but like um i didn't i didn't like get my first like real bump until i had a script that sold that seth and evan were producing that i wrote with another friend the politician yeah that was like on the blacklist and we and sold in like a bidding war and like 2013 where did that end up selling sony sony yeah it was uh, yeah that was was that a big moment like 
that probably happened over 48 to 72 hours, like the way that these spec sales were going back then. Yeah. Can you describe like a little bit about just like those two days or how, the process of what happened? You know, like we put the script out. Uh, well, I mean, it was a script that like, yeah, it was a script that I had been working on for a while. Like, and then finally we were like, all right, this is good enough to send it. And then um, Alana Mayo. Uh, She's running Orion right now. Yeah, she was like, she was the first person to read it at Paramount. She was like, oh, this is pretty cool so they made an offer but then seth and evan were like working a lot with sony at the time so then sony came in and then it became like a it was pretty awesome actually to see i'm fucking sure uh, <laughs> but like the the with years of, of retrospective like uh um like distance and objectivity it's like it was another example of like thinking that like everything was gonna be better and different and like it was going to be like an overnight change in my life. Now that I had like sold a script, like, yeah. I was like, Oh my God. Like I'm like, I've like made it, but like I hadn't at all. And then the movie didn't get made. And then like four years later, like Trump was elected and like, no one wanted to see like a movie about like a cokehead politician, like running amok in New York. <laughs> like, it was not as funny. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. Um, so like, but, but the, it, it, that the way that movie fell apart was pretty insane because like basically um it was at a time where Seth and Evan had just delivered like an incredible like string of movies for Sony um super bad pineapple express this is the end and then the interview yeah we all know so and our <laughs> movie was going to be the fifth after oh. that so like we were like literally we had a really great director and Vince Vaughn attached oh my god and it was like Vince Vaughn had like approved of our script, which is like no, if anyone knows like how particular he is, that's like no small feat, you know? And then um, we were like at the green light committee the weekend that the interview uh, came out. Like, um, so we went from being like having like a budget and a shooting schedule uh, to nothing in like two weeks. Oh my God. And then like, the corporate leadership of Sony like shifted and like the relationship that Seth and Evan have with Sony completely changed as well. So like the movie just like totally died. Um, and it was devastating for me at the time because it was like by far the closest I'd ever gotten to, to making something. But like now I look back at that and I'm like really grateful that that happened at that point in my life because like I wasn't like ready. Like I didn't know how to write the way I do now. Like I didn't understand like, what I really wanted to write about. And like, you don't get that many opportunities. And, and like, when you do, you have to make sure that you like, actually are deliberate with like, what you're putting out into the world and how you're representing yourself as a writer. And, and at that time, I was like, so grateful for work and so grateful to like, just be writing comedy professionally that like, I was doing projects that like, I didn't love. Um, and and I wasn't being discerning with like my choices. So I think that like, if that movie had come out, like I probably would have done like worse versions of that movie a couple of times and then like never worked again because like, I wasn't like really um, being completely true to like my voice as a writer at that time. Um, so like taken now almost 10 years later, it's like, uh, it's very interesting for me to think about like what, was at the time like truly a devastating like turn in my career like how i've come to like view that in an absolutely like different way 
um, and with like a level of like gratitude actually, because like, I do feel like, I mean, that's what we were talking about like at the beginning of this conversation, like it, it really like forced me to, um, to like start again. And, and that like that process is like not daunting for me now. And it's exciting actually. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't think at that time I wasn't like that excited to like write something from scratch, you know? Cause I was like, Oh my God, like Vince Vaughn, like, that was like the best thing. Like I was like, love wedding crashers and shit in college. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Oh, dude. Yeah. And Michael Dow's, by the way, who was attached to direct, he directed this amazing movie I love called It's All Gone, Pete Tong. Yeah. Which is about a DJ that loses, that goes deaf. If you haven't seen that movie, you should go watch it because it's a fucking masterpiece. He's, a, he's an awesome guy too. Like he's like, it was a really, it was like a cool experience because he really like was in it with us and, and, um, and yeah, he he. I wish we would have gotten a chance to make it because I think it would have been fun. But yeah. like, in in retrospect, I'm like also sort of happy like um, to have to have gone through that at that time in my life when I was like still young and like could kind of like rebuild myself a little bit. Teddy, will you tell us a little bit about um, Jungle Land and what it's like to? you know, write something that gets made and, and just being on set and experiencing that and working with actors um, because that's an experience, like you said, you know, you were like, oh, it's going to happen with this Michael Dow's uh, thing and then it doesn't and then you finally do this other thing um, and it's everybody's dream. Like, I feel like the ultimate dream in Hollywood as a writer is like buy a ticket at the Arclight to a movie that you wrote and or directed. Yeah. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. No, it's definitely, I mean, that, it's like, that was a movie that I had written with Dave, like, in 2011 or something. Wow. And it was shot in 2017 or 2018. Um, and it was, like, at that point in my life, I was so skeptical of, like, anything being made because like I had seen like so many projects fall apart that I thought were like real and like I'd like told my friends like this movie's gonna get made and then like three years later I'd like depressively be like yeah remember that movie I was told you about <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not happening man it's on the shelf <laughs> if you want I can explain to you <laughs> it's in the so detail. so turn around is a <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing you realize is like people that like are not in entertainment like truly don't care about like the intricacies of the way that like your screenplays fall apart and it's like so depressing to, yeah like, actually like it, like be like oh if you if you want you know do you have 20 minutes but uh you know the uh no so like jungle land came around like randomly like seven years later and we got like like charlie hunnam like read the script and was like really into the character and he like completely championed like the path to production and we had barry keegan attached for a second but he had to drop out and then we we got Jack O'Connell, who's like incredible. Yeah. Um, and it was like a really, I mean, it was a cool experience for me. Like, I, I think that like what we're like, I'm sorry to be like so long winded. No, please. Answers, no, like there's dude, yeah. this is what this, this is the podcast form, okay. baby. We got all the fucking time in the world. Um, but the, uh, I think that like, it's kind of like um, circle back to like your previous question as well. It's like, how do you, it's like, how do you sort of like, um, sort of like track your progress yeah. over years, you know? And I think that like with, with, um, with jungle and it, it like, it was interesting because like I had been working and doing rewrites on scripts for like four and a half years straight. Um, when that moved, cause like after 
the politician sold I had worked for like basically like four years. Yeah, what's and, that like? <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> it's great. What's, first, what's it like being wanted <laughs> for stuff? Um, and then, so I had I was like revisiting material from like that I had written in before I really understood how to write. Yeah. Um, so it was like a pretty interesting like revision process because we had to like write for a for like a um, a budget two months before production and then jack came on board like late and he had like his own ideas for the for the character um which i thought were like pretty much spot on so i had the opportunity to like work with him like in real time during production to like revise the the intricacies of his character and like the specific quirks of like how he would respond to like different situations and like th leaving that i was like oh i would really like to direct at some point because like um the conversation with actors in particular, it makes you like approach your material in a very different way. Because like, if you're working with, um, with like truly like elite actors, like I think Jack and Charlie are like, um, what they're craving is like complexity in the character. And especially if you come from like a, like a comedic background, like, like what you're trying to do is like present the character problem, like, get them in a clean, like, comedic situation in which, like, that problem is, like, juxtaposed with their, the environment they're in so they can, like, solve their own, like, character struggles and then the movie ends. But, like, with, with like, like, truly dramatic actors, they're, like, they're, like, trying to find contradictions in the character, like, trying to find hypocrisies, like, trying to find, like, um, uh, sort of, like, where the logic breaks down compared to the, like the emotion of the character but like all within like a thoughtful framework so talking to him was like that was like another incredible learning experience yeah i feel like it's like for me random like and I, i'm sure like you kind of felt this way on on fairfax like but th there have been like three or four situations in my life where i feel like i've learned like um an incredible amount and then like the rest of the time i've been like working hard so i've like incrementally grown but it's like um, the process of like watching Seth and Evan and then um, from the business perspective, like the process of seeing politicians fall apart. But then also like that was my first experience, like really developing with a director and a, and like a movie star. Um, and then like that was helpful, but like working on jungle Land and like seeing how like, like these like lines that you like agonize over are just more like a roadmap of intention for actors in particular, like that, really made me um think about my writing in a different way um and like that was an invaluable experience for me because like you don't like you don't know what it's really like to see a script like be converted on screen until yeah. you go through it and like when you think about your scripts like from that perspective which I think a lot of young writers don't it's like what you realize is like what you're doing is like writing a movie, like not a script, you know, it's like yeah. you're trying to write a movie for like a director and, and like actors who are going to like want to like truly understand the psychology of the characters that you've created. I didn't, you know, working with the, the other Teddy and Aaron, they always talk about world building, which to me like sounds a little bit like what you're talking about. And I'd like, I didn't realize like, how important that really is like every like when you say like oh it's it's just like a roadmap for the movie it's gonna have 
it's going to have so much more, so many like intricate little moments, and there may be things that you didn't plan for, or you didn't write that come up at, and and I just feel like you're really building, especially in a movie or a show. I mean, uh, I may be rambling, but like you're you're playing God in a weird way, and you've created this world, and you have your vision, and then everyone comes on, and at least in my opinion, like collaboratively, like makes it better, especially when you hand it to actors that you know, like Charlie Hunnam and Jack, who are just like monsters, and they can elevate the material and you know make it yeah, their sure. own i mean i feel like you, like your show had like such incredible world building. there were that the, was the show <laughs> <laughs> well there, i mean like just like with working with actors most of it was over zoom but like you know trying to like rein in jb smooth <laughs> or like john leguizamo who by the way they're like doing this in their garages and like JB like went for 10 minutes, you know, and like, you're like, dude, like you're not even near what the line is, you know, cause you do it line by line, but it's JB smooth. And he's so fucking funny that like so many happy accidents happen that way. Um, so it's nice to sort of just, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's nice to be working with actors that know what you're doing and get the world that you're building and know how to like, you know, brick by brick, help you build the house. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like, that's the, like, when you when you get to like really spend time with actors and and understand like the level of preparation and professionalism that like the best ones sort of like hold themselves to it's like you want to truly think about like the intentions of your characters at every moment and really think about like like crafting characters that people would be excited to play yeah. because i think that that's also like the I think that's the way to get like things going too. Is like, like obviously, like if you have an incredible like log line, that's great, you know. But like, like actors are really like the people that make things real, like as you package. And it's like um, having the opportunity to like understand what it what it means to really put yourself out there in in the way that like. Um, that like really serious actors do it like really changes kind of like your your approach to work um but i think that you can do that on a lower level if you're just starting it's like yeah. it's like you like making things it, it's like that's that is a hundred percent like the way to understand like the discrepancy between like your intentions as a writer and like the final form and there's nothing like like more objective than than a finished product you know what i mean it's like people can can like consume like a finished product and and have their own opinions and it's like that is kind of like the the best way in my opinion to like actually grow um if you're starting i guess yeah teddy i wanted to ask you uh because you did a little you've done some tv writing um, your first staff was Future Man, Hulu. Yeah, you've really researched. I mean, research. I just like, I, re <laughs> I, I really have really researched. I just like, um, no, I remember like, truthfully, if we're being honest, I remember we were at a wedding together and you were either about to start your first staff job or you had just started on, on Future Man. And that's the wedding in which you gave the greatest speech of all time. Or worse, <laughs> yeah. depending on depending on your your taste for comedy. I remember watching that being like, Damn, like I really I like this guy. He's going <laughs> for it. He's fucking lost his mind. Uh, um, 
And I remember I, you know, I had only, I had written on two shows at the time, but you asked like, do you like, how do you like deal with it? And I said like, truthfully, what I was told was as a staff writer, your job is twofold. It's like one, to be a cheerleader for your boss. And that two, even if you don't agree where he, she, or they is trying to like run, you're like, you're doing it wrong guy. Don't be the person that raises your hand and tells them like you're doing it wrong. Help them get in the direction they're going, and hopefully, like th- other senior people and in group think, will will untangle it in the way that that is supposed to be untangled. Um, so I just wanted to ask, like, wh- what what was your experiences on that show, and how did you settle in and find your confidence and your voice in the room? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I did like an an okay job as as like a staff writer. <laughs> Because uh, I, I was so excited to like work on something and I wanted to like really put my stamp on it that I was like way too assertive at first. And like, I think that the, because I had like sold stuff on the feature side, like I felt like I had like more experience. So um, in a way that was like not reflected in my like title of staff writer. So I, yeah. I was trying to like uh, be like really in it. But I, I do think that that was like probably wrong. Cause I wasn't asked back, for <laughs> but I am really good friends with the, with the creator of the showrunners. We're actually seeing avatar two tonight. Oh, are you yeah. Kyle and Ariel? Uh, uh, tonight, or Kyle is- and Ben Carlin, but Got yes, it. Kyle and Ariel. Got it. Okay, great. Um, but the, uh, um, I, he, Ben gave me advice, which I didn't listen to, which is good advice, which is like, um, like listen at first and like see what people are like the flow of the room and like the nature of the conversation, because like people like break things differently and people think about things differently. And like what you want to do is like, make sure that you're um, presenting your own ideas, like in the context of like the flow of conversation that's being established by the showrunner or the person running the room. And it's hard to like um, get into that flow unless you like really observe um the patterns and the, and like the rhythm of the discussion. So I think that like, like not feeling like you have to prove yourself on the first day um, is really, I wish like I had listened to that more because like, I do think like as, as a season went on and I actually like became like friends with Ben and Kyle and Ariel, like I was able to like contribute to the show in a real way that I was like proud of. And I ended up like actually working on the show for like a really long time. Cause like we rewrote, um we rewrote the season for budgetary constraints like like in the 16th week and like basically like um i was like weekly so they could keep me on for like a limited cost so i just ended up working for like 30 weeks or something (laughs) which was cool at the time um but i do think that like it, it took me a minute to get my to like catch my stride because like the way i work sometimes is like when i'm when i'm alone or talking to someone like just one-on-one I'll I'll be like really and I mean I'm even doing this in this podcast like I'm like I'll really talk through things in like a like a exhaustive way and like and like try to like really understand like the point of a scene and then and then write it so like like my preparation for writing a scene will be like 85% of the time like um give into a scene like and 15% to writing because like by the time that I'm actually writing I feel like I know exactly what I want to do and then it's pretty easy yeah but like you can't do that in a writer's room like <laughs> with 15 people <laughs> <laughs> um because so, like sometimes you just have to like get going and keep moving yeah. but like 
I'm if I ever have my own show, I'll be curious to know how I run it because like you did have your own show, true, true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran it into the ground. But uh, the <laughs> um, but like I do like to me like the the philosophical discussion is has now become like so important because like like I if you don't know what you want to say with your material like you can't like be elegant in the execution um and like sh show restraint in the writing um but not that i mean future man was not like a like he like comes on someone in the first episode like what's like an elegant show <laughs> but uh no but um but it's to me like my own style like as a writer it's like it's it's a little i think that like what I've realized is I'm looking for room situations where like my skill set like matches. Yeah. And I've, I've been lucky to like find that recently, but like with future man, it was like really like a purely comedic show. And like, yeah. I'm, it, it's not really exactly who I am as a writer. So like, I feel like I learned a lot and learned like the politics of a room and like learned how to like, like pitch um, in a way that's like, slightly more efficient than I would normally be able to, but I'm not an efficient pitcher at all. Um, but like that, like just being in that experience was so helpful. And I learned so much that like, I was just so grateful to like be a part of it because like, again, like the only way you can really learn is through like the experience of like going through something. So yeah. like, I think that especially if you're starting, you have to like, like know that you have something to contribute and, and uh, be confident in that, but also like leave space open to like actually like like learn from the more senior people. And it's like, that's not even to say like you have to learn like to copy what they do. It's like you can learn like counterexamples um, of how you don't want to be. And, th and that's valuable too. So it's like, um, like approaching these things as a student like I think is like really a, a, uh, an incredible way to start because like what you want by the time you have a show is, is to be able to like cull from like memories of, of like things you would like to emulate and then things you'd want to avoid. Mm -hmm. And you can't like know that until you yeah. see those things in practice. Yeah. I feel like I, from some showrunners, I saw exactly what to do. And from other showrunners, I saw what maybe not to do if I was yeah. ever in that position. And both are incredibly valuable, yeah, frankly. hundred um, percent. The last thing I want to ask you about is writing on Pam and Tommy because it's a beloved show. I believe um, I'm, I'm having a brain fart moment. Why am I having a brain fart? Lily James was just nominated, correct? Yeah, it was nominated for best uh, Golden Globe yeah. series too. But Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Pam and Tommy a little bit because I know you really much enjoyed writing on it. I loved watching it as a lot of people did. Um, what was that experience like? Was, was Seth and Evan in the room? Did you guys write in person? Was it on zoom? Just, uh, give me yeah. a little, give me a little taste. For sure. No, I mean that to me was like, it was such a, it was like a really, um, transformative experience for me because I, I it was the first time I had been in like a room situation in which like the discussion, um, was like really stimulating to me intellectually. And, and like, I was able to identify, uh, the sort of like, rooms I would I would want to pursue afterwards because like what I loved about that show um was that it was a real like intersection of uh of like a a character story that 
that depended on the time period in which it was uh, it played out. And I think that like what that required in terms of like research uh, of of those like years in the '90s in which they were like together and then split up was like was exhaustive in a way that I found like fascinating um, because I think that like especially as I consider like my own influences like starting especially comedically it's like the last few years has been a pretty like incredible uh, opportunity to like unpack like this the um um the sexism and the sort of like subtle like um like not subtle but like racism and homophobia like that was like at the core of like so many of the huge comedies that like were around when we like we're coming of age and like obviously like starting to like fall in love with comedy and I think that like the opportunity to like tell that story through um truly like iconic figures in pop culture was like it was such a cool opportunity and it was like a really like um it was like a really really like intellectual discussion that like um that kind of like set me on a path being like, oh, this is what I want to do always now. And like, what's been cool for me about my career recently is like, because I've like worked so much, I'm finally able to like work with people that like I admire. Um, and like, that was truly like the experience of like working uh, as, a, as like a lower level writer on Pam and Tommy because like, like it's like Rob Siegel. Like I remember watching The Wrestler and Big Fan when I was like first starting writing and being like, this is like yeah as good as it gets. Those movies are incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I like accosted Patton Oswalt once at a premiere. Yeah, and I was like, dude, the fan, the fan. It's so good. <laughs> I know. It's like and, and yeah, and funny in like the most unexpected ways. And and Rob is an incredible guy. Like he's like um, truly like funny. Like in a way that people would never like know based on his output. And maybe now they will. Um, and DV, DeVincentis, also was, like, the showrunner, and he had, like, basically, like, created the, this new form um, in People vs. OJ that's, like, uh, that kind of started this entire, like, trend of limited series that, like, take a snapshot of, like, uh, a moment in history to tell, like, yeah. um, uh, stories of, like... Theranos, WeWork, Uber, yeah. they're all doing them now. Yeah, for it sure. It started with, yeah. with OJ. And so, so... And DV's also, like, a really cool dude. Like, he's... He reminds me of like uh, of like what people like in Hollywood like think of a Hollywood writer, but he's like not. A, he's like also really nice. Like, yeah. But he like lives on like Mulholland and he's like has a cool Porsche and stuff. But he's like also like incredibly like funny and and like a like a good mentor. And then like Sarah Gubbins also is like an incredible writer who just like um, kind of like became like a also sort of mentor me a little bit. So I, I, it was like such a small room. Um, was it in person, Ted? Yeah. It was like, what, what was kind of crazy about the, about the show was like, we wrapped the room, um, in 2019, uh, like November. So like four months before the pandemic started. Yeah. And then the show was shot like late or like maybe April, 2021 and then came out in 2022. So like, the show came out like three years after the writer's room wrapped. Jesus. Um, Sounds like animation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, in, it was incredible. It's like, 
Um, and I guess that, that, that's like my, the last, the last like experience that I like think about. Um, I mean, and the animated show I did, but like those, those, those two experiences like also have been like instrumental and in like, um, in helping me like figure out my own internal direction because it's like the, I, I enjoyed doing my animated show, but I like realized I was like, again, writing in a tone that like, it wasn't like exactly um, reflective of like uh, of like what I would want to to put out into the world, and then um, Pam and Tommy was so it's like seeing seeing like like working on those two things back to back was like kind of like the final like piece of my like edification um, in terms of like understanding my own uh, like uh, mission statement as a writer and. And now it's like, I mean, we talked about this before the podcast. It's like now, like I, I have, I'm fully intentional with everything I do because like what you realize, especially doing a fucking animated show is like <laughs> the amount of work it takes to like put an animated show like on TV or on a, like streaming or whatever is so enormous that like, if you're not like in love with the, with like the message of your material or the characters that you're drawing, like it's like really not worth the time. Like it's like, cause it's such a crazy effort. Like and yeah. it's, it's like, it's, it's like unrelenting for like two years, three, I mean, um, longer in your case for sure. But, but, the, uh, but, um, but it's like, I, I do feel that again, like I've been writing for 15 years and I feel like only recently have I like figured out what I want to say and what I want to do. And like, it's like now I can like view all these experiences like through the prism of like um, uh, the kind of like overall trajectory that I've been on. But like um, at the time, it's like you you just kind of like go through good and bad. And, and it's like you have to experience both to sort of like to kind of like create your own like matrix of decision making because like you have no idea how to do that at first. And it's only through like, it, like setbacks and like, like positive experience that you can like take and leave and let things go um, as you keep going, you know? Teddy, uh, thank you so much for joining us, dude. <laughs> Honestly, like this is such a pleasure for me yeah. to, to talk to you. Uh, this was uh, Teddy Bressman on Write Who You Know. He is a wonderful writer. Uh, check out Pam and Tommy if you have not seen it. Check out Jungle Land if you have not seen it. Is there anything else we should plug? Future Man? What else should we plug, Teddy? Is there anything? <laughs> well, Sausage Party. Sausage uh, Party? is Animated. Show. That's right. The, yeah. you, you wrote on that, right? Yeah, I worked on both seasons. Oh, wow. It's coming to Amazon. That's, that's like, uh, it's like we talk about animation. It's like I worked on that show in 2021 and a little 2022, and it's like, it was just announced it's airing in 2024. It's I know. Like, how yeah. are you? I'm gonna be so like uh, removed from the material, but I think that's that'll be kind of nice. Well, dude, you're a mensch. You're the mensch of the month. Oh, that's what I want to plug. Get in yeah. it, dude. I, I, have a, <laughs> I have a hat company uh, called Mensch of the Month, Menches.net. Uh, or Instagram. How do you spell that, by the way? Oh, Menches.net. M E N S. C H E S period N E T. 
Mench is a really nice boy, a great person in the Jewish yeah. community, of which Teddy is one. I'm Thanks, Matt Housefetter. This was Right Who You Know. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you, dude.